Hey everybody, it's been a while, but welcome to the sixth episode of Digging Deeper. Let's go. since I recorded a podcast just been busy with work and other things and I know you guys are just dying for another podcast so today I have the pleasure of talking to my friend from Montreal Alan Drakes aka DJ Nemesis now I first met Alan when I moved to Montreal from Vancouver in the summer of 2008 10 years ago when I began part of my medical training at McGill it was my first time moving away from the west coast in Vancouver So I was excited, but also a bit nervous in the beginning. I actually met Alan the very first weekend I settled in Montreal. Alan at the time was working at Santra Hi-Fi, which is an audio video store on St. Catherine Street. And he happened to be the salesperson that I connected with that day. For some reason, we started talking about music and I'm pretty sure I shocked him with my knowledge of music, particularly old school hip hop. I'm pretty sure he was thinking to himself, who is this geeky Asian kid talking to me about Jodeci and High Five and Guy? I played him a mixtape he never heard of uh, from a DJ back in Vancouver, and that was it. He wanted to be my friend. Actually, I wanted him to be my friend because I wanted him to teach me how to DJ. It was always a dream of mine to DJ a party, but I realized DJing takes time and talent. I had lots of time, but no talent. Alan's been a very loyal friend to me when I was in Montreal, and we still keep in touch to this day. He's done very well with DJing in the Montreal scene, and in this episode, I hope to talk about our shared passion for music, how we got into DJing in the first place, who are some of his musical influences, his favorite albums of all time, and finally, our top five greatest hip-hop artists of all time list. So have a listen, and if you like this and my other episodes, make sure you hit that subscribe button or share your comments on iTunes. So please enjoy. All right, I got my buddy Alan from Montreal on the phone with me right now. What's going on, Alan? Ben, 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 it's always good to hear from you, my friend. Hey, you know, so in the intro I was talking about when we first met, it was actually, believe it or not, 10 years ago this summer. Uh, Time (laughs) flies. Yeah, dude. (laughs) And uh, we met at Santra Hi-Fi where you used to work. And uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was talking about um, this mixtape I played you when we first met. Do you remember that mixtape I played you? Yes, I do. But I can't remember who mixed it. But it was just phenomenal. Like, we were just vibing off of that when I went to the fire system. And And that's that's when you knew you wanted to be friends with me, right? You're like, this (laughs) this Asian kid knows his music and we got to hang out. Exactly. Uh Exactly. So, yo, thanks for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, my friend. Yeah, so I wanted to kind of get the audience to learn a little bit about your kind of background in DJing, how it got started, where your love of music began, who who influenced you. Um, yeah, so what age did you start really falling in love with music? I've been trying to find that out. You're not the first person to ask me that, but it's um, I'll have to say it was really young. Like I was still in single digits. Um, and I was the conventional black kid in school. I was... Um, I listened to all kinds, other types of music that the crew that I should have been hanging around with didn't listen to. So I listened to Alice Cooper, Green Day, Offspring, and I was what, say nine between nine and eleven at that at that point. Okay. Um, 
and then I started hanging out with the Italians. So I got into like the Eurodance and the Out There Brothers, the Wakefield, the Corona. So I wasn't really vibing at that point the whole um, underground hip hop scene. So I wasn't really the, the conventional hip hop head. Yeah, and actually, that translates to your your DJing now because you play all kinds of music nowadays. You exactly. don't just play hip hop, and you, like you love all music, basically, right? Exactly. Uh, I, it depends on my vibe. Like one of my favorite albums of all time was uh, Collision Course, which is Jay Z and Lincoln Park. Right. So, like, so it's always I've always had a a very big culture of music, even growing up. Yeah. Um, but where did that come from? Where did that... my brother was? My brother's a lot older than I am. Okay. Uh, like I'm 35 now. My brother's about 43, if I'm correct. Yeah. So growing up, I was to him, um, New Jack Swing. Um, oh, he was yeah. really into the, the the dance hall. So that's where I got that vibe from. And considering like, my background, my culture is from Barbados. We we're very um, very into the international soca beats. I grew up into that as well. So from birth, pretty much, I was introduced into a very musical cultural family. Um, and once I started going into high school, that's when I started really getting more hip-hop influenced. So the Nas, the Mob Deep, the Tupac, and the Biggie, yeah. which brought me back to Craig Mack. Um, rest in peace. Know, the, 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 the rest in peace. You know, that was some sad news. But Yeah. Yeah, and when I talk to other people where music really plays a kind of influential part of their life, it starts really young. Uh, even, even for me, I think my dad was really into music. He was really into, like, the Beatles and the Eagles and... Rolling Stones, so I think even when CCR. I was... Yeah, yeah, so like, even when I was like three or four, I probably started really getting into music and, and beats and stuff, and uh, yeah, my mom always tells the story of when I was, I think, two, and they were playing some, maybe Jackson 5 song, and for whatever reason, I was just totally vibing out to it, and he's like, you know, I've never seen a kid dance like you, but of course, that's just mama's bias, so... Exactly, <laughs> you know, my child could do no wrong. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think I think that's certainly where I started. And uh, do you remember like the first uh, album or CD you ever bought? I would have to say one of the first albums I ever bought on cassette would have to have been. I'm trying to remember. I think it would have been Cypress Hill. Yeah. Um, or. Um, Mark Morrison, Return of the Mac. Okay, okay. This is going uh, back to cassettes now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> after I, my first cassette, I think I bought was uh, White Snake. Actually, believe it or not. Uh, wow. Because um, I That's going my, back. Yeah, I was going back. My uh, neighbor across the street, who was a few years older than me, was really into kind of hard rock, kind of, and I kind of looked up to him. So I, I bought White Snake. But my two CDs I bought when I was. 11 i think one was bobby brown uh, oh which one uh the the first his first his first toby cruel um yeah and then the second album i bought was uh high five yeah uh, that was the second album so I you were really an r&b kid you're an r&b kid yeah i think to this day i'm, I'm definitely more uh, one-dimensional compared to you in terms of musical taste i i'm definitely more uh, r&b even to this day it depends. It depends on the era we're looking at. If you're talking about like the older stuff, yes, um, all over that from the Motown, the soul, the jazz, the blues, everything. Um, but in today's today's era, I really can't find my my mojo. I can't find what really um, what really gets in tune with me. Yeah, well, um, that's just a sign of getting old, though, Alan. Um, <laughs> 
you know, so I mean, when I'm a bit older than you, so when I was growing up in junior high, I think New Jack Swing was huge, right? Um, yep, it but, still is. It still is. You play that, and you're spinning a full house. Oh sure. yeah, this always gets me in a good good mood. Like that was back back in the day of Belle Biv DeVoe, uh, High Five Guy. Um, well, you're probably one of your favorite albums must have been the soundtrack from the Boomerang. <laughs> the Boomerang, and also yeah. the other soundtrack I had was uh, Above the Rim. You above, above the, the rim. rim, yep. Yeah, I had that on CD as well, too. This was when you actually you could order, you know, those Columbia Records? Columbia House. Yeah, Columbia House. for a right? dollar. Yeah, <laughs> I still have all the CDs, actually. I have, like, hundreds of CDs still. My parents yeah, went to throw it away. So I'm many. like, I am not throwing that away. That's uh, Don't, classic. please don't. When I come right. to D.C., I'm going to take them off your hands. <laughs> but uh, hey, when did when did you start DJing, actually? Like, how did you get into that? How I fell into DJing was never, uh, it wasn't actually planned. It really wasn't. Um, I went to Barbados um, when I was about 14, 13 or 14. Um, and my cousin, who is now a general engineer living in Toronto, was an upcoming DJ. And that's where I got really fascinated. I'm, let me retract that. I was into a lot of Funkmaster Flex, DJ Scribble, uh, Red Alert. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never was in contact with actual DJs who actually had equipment. When I was in Barbados, I spoke, when I first met my cousin, because we didn't go down there very often, I was there for the first time when I was seven, and then I didn't see anybody for almost 10 years. He then started to show me, and I mean, this is going old school, we were using 33s and 45s in rotation. Oh, and back, <laughs> yeah. So um, if you look at now, if you look towards the late 90s where we had the dance hall rhythms, it would be all rhythms based on two 33s. But if you go back to the 80s and early 90s, it was 45. You'd have dub plates, you'd have special editions, you would have two tracks, one song per side. Um, I had to learn how to scratch with um, with 45, which was a completely different thing compared to what it is now. Right. So, um, yeah, that that's where it all kicked off for me. And then when I came back... I really, that's when I really started to find. And, and that's when I was really like, when you, when you picked up DJing, it was more of a hobby. You never thought, Oh, it's going to turn into a career or, or something that you would do for, for money. I think it was just more for a passion. Was it? It was, it was more passion. It wasn't even a hobby. Like I would take every red cent that I'd have. I'd run downtown and I knew exactly on every Tuesday. That's when the vinyls were coming out. You had to be there because it was a limited amount. So you, it, it was, it was a frenzy. Yeah. It's not like now, okay, you can go on Apple Music and download whatever you want. But back then, if you, for you to start being able to DJ, you had to get that particular vinyl. Otherwise, you're not getting that gig. And you were carrying and, crates to your gigs, and you know, it's not on your yeah. Apple laptop, right? No, 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 no. There was no laptops back then. It was straight analog. You did everything by ear. You had to prepare your set. You had to know how many beats, when to drop, how to drop it. It, it was a complete. It, you you had it's pretty much like medicine. Right. You had to know exactly what dosage to give. So actually, I just so. thought of a question: is like because there's limited edition of these albums, um, would certain DJs be more popular because they got their hands on certain cuts or certain singles that other DJs couldn't get? So was it was it like that competitive? Once you got up into the realms and your name started being heard. Um, you would actually have somebody come in and 
slide you a card and say, okay, you know what, give me your address. So once you start getting on these lists, you would actually get first press. Right. I never made it to that level, but I know a lot of guys who did who got limited edition versions of of uh, I remember when uh, just like music Eric Sermon came out. Yeah. Um, there was limited press on that. Um, there was quite a few limited presses. Mob Deep was one of them as well. Um, where these guys got it, so they these guys were making the big bucks in the clubs. Okay. Okay. Because the their name was known, the labels knew them, yeah. and they were being able to get those records before everybody else. You know, it takes a while, like, to kind of uh, learn how to mix. I actually tried it myself, like, many, many years ago, and it was tough. Like, I, I didn't put in the hours probably that was needed to get there, but I was wondering, like, it was a bit of a – it took a lot of practice, I, I am assuming. To... Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it, wasn't more, it wasn't more the practice uh, or, or the technique. It was really studying. Okay. It was really studying because you had to learn how to count in your head Yeah. how many beats – and not only that, you had to understand um, what beat would mix with the other. Because sometimes you would have the same tempo, the same beat, right? But the two songs just clashed; it didn't sound right. But the thing I found difficult was trying to identify um, which beats actually went faster than, like, which to slow down, which to speed up. I had trouble with that when I was trying to listen to the two different songs. I guess that takes um, practice. It's kind of like rewiring your brain to really distinguish between two songs <laughs> at the same time, right? Yeah, per se. But one thing that I did learn very quickly is that with hip hop and or even the urban scene, it was very, very rare that your pitch would go in the negative. Okay. You could max the pitch out, but you would very rare go into the negative. But if you were more into the underground house scene, right. um, with Roughneck, uh, Crystal Waters, and you Green Velvet, you will be then, uh, because of the long... Um, the long intros, the 32, 64 bar intros, you were able to play in the negatives and it would not reflect the sound as much. Okay. Okay. So it all depends on the style of music you're playing. But when you started out, were you like just locked yourself in the room and just kept on practicing until you, you kind of got it or you didn't even look at it that way because you loved it so much. You could spend hours. Surprisingly, I really started taking full on DJing when I was about 16. Okay. But I never owned any of my own equipment till I was about 21. So I was always hanging around with my boys. We had a little crew back then. So we had a little thing going. And I ended up, um, there was an incident where I had lost all my vinyl. Oh. And I thought my career was over. My hobby was done. But fortunate for me, it happened to be that it was in the beginning of when CD burning was coming out. So you had a, a, a 4X burner and we had, this is, this is going back like way back. We're going back to like LimeWire. Okay. So I actually, so I mean, I know about LimeWire. What year was that? That was early 2000s oh maybe? Was it early? That was like, do you think? I think it was early too. No, it was late nineties. It was late nineties. Late 90s, 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 so I was still in high school. Okay. 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 It was, it, it was Napster and then it was LimeWire. Then it was Kaza. So I, w I would be one of those guys, like, my mom used to get mad all the time because back then we didn't have high speed. We didn't, we didn't have DSL. Yeah, exactly. So you, you occupied the phone <laughs> and you're downloading tracks. And so sometimes it's one song. Yeah. It would take you four hours to download. Yeah, I remember those dial-up tones, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, so that obviously revolutionized the DJing scene for you guys a lot. Exactly. So that that's pretty much what saved me. But you know, the audio quality from those downloads are nothing like the vinyl, though, right? So. No. Um, I still work. I'm, I'm still very in depth in the audio industry. Yeah. When you look at vinyl, the waveform is much more open depending on the atmosphere you're using, the needle, the turntable, the wires, the amplifier. But when you're back in the early days when we're using CDs, um, you were in a window. So if you listen to anything that was on CD, like Depeche Mode or Phil Collins or anything from like the early, um, late 80s, you'll hear that there's very little bass because the waveform can't go that high. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. And you only start to see that develop more until like the mid '90s and late uh, uh, late '90s, where you start getting that more of the warmer, richer sound. Yeah, and actually, vinyl's kind of made a comeback because I think the vinyl's been come popular. Oh yeah, I, vinyl's going strong. Like, now. I, I have vinyl now, and it's uh, definitely the, the the richness of the sound is so different than listening to digital. It's oh, absolutely! Like it sounds absolutely. It's not even pure. Is not even the word. It just seems more full. I guess the word would be. Would you agree with that? Yes, that, that's, that's the best way. To, yes, I do. Just a more full um, sound. But I miss that, actually. If I know you well enough, you didn't cheap out. You wouldn't got yourself something decent. So, uh, Well, I got a gift. It was a gift from uh, my fiance. So uh, I, I, hope she didn't che- I hope she didn't cheap out. <laughs> <laughs> well, off record, I'll give, you, so I'll give you some tips on how to upgrade it to, to give you some better sound. But uh, hey, how did you like get into the club scene for DJing? Like, when did you start getting paid for, for doing what you love? Which is everyone's dream, right? Um, as you know, um, in Quebec, the legal drinking age and party age is 18. I started out when I was 17. Oh, okay. You... I wasn't supposed to, but... But you look 25. <laughs> <laughs> back then, I didn't look 25. Trust me. Uh, I was a little rebel back then. <laughs> like, uh, I had a little bit of rock and roll in me. <laughs> okay. Uh, I moved out of my mom's at a very early age. Okay. So I had to hustle. I mean, I really had to get my grind. Oh, yeah. Now, that's one of the things I admire about you is your hustle and your grind always. Yeah, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. It, it, it's just a, the one thing that I instill in my kids is the fact that if you love something, focus on it. Don't try and, you know, okay, I'm going to have a job. And there, there were, I went through rough times where, you know, I could have changed career paths, but I didn't. I didn't because I would have been unhappy with what I would, what I would be doing for the rest of my life. Yeah, no, I, I totally so, agree. I totally agree. I even tell uh, my fiance that if we have kids, by two things I would want to teach is definitely one is passion. The other thing is empathy, empathy for other people. Absolutely. I think, Absolutely. I think that's probably Those two, are two of the most important things. things. That'll, that'll bring success for them going forward. Yeah, I think so. For sure. And it's not even about monetary success, but definitely. No, not even monetary success, but personal like personal success yeah absolutely absolutely um so so yeah so legal drinking age was 18 you started at 17 and were you just yeah. doing small clubs at the time or, or um, parties i i lived in a small town called shadagi and um there was this local bar and even we all did it you know we're underage you go to the bar whatever the case and i said i could beat this guy he's horrible i could beat this guy so i begged them I begged them, and I went back week after week after week until they actually gave me a shot. I actually played the first month for free. Okay. I said, just give me alcohol, and I'll play for free. Hey, hold on, hold up, Alan. I want to go back to what you just said, where 
you were listening to this DJ and he was horrible. So I think for casual party goers, you know, we don't really think this DJ is good or bad unless they played really terrible music that you didn't like. But in your in your ears, like how how did you determine what was a good DJ or a bad DJ? Like why did you say this guy was terrible? Mainly because let me retract. If you look back at the states, okay, in each sector of the U.S. has a certain style. If you look from the artists that come from where Ludacris comes from, or where Snoop comes from, or Kendrick comes from, they'll have a certain certain um, dialect that 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 um, that resonates with that resonates with the people in that area. But because I was implemented in so many different groups and so many different cultures, I already knew what would resonate with my area of people. Okay. So you're talking about the certain types of music that they would like exactly. to hear when they're but, going out. Exactly. So you weren't really talking about his skill in mixing. It wasn't his skill. It was his, it was his selection. Okay. Okay. It's like if you're opening up a Kendrick Lamar, you're not going to play Metallica. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, so it was his song selection that was really off. And I told him, listen, you got to give me a chance. And it kicked off from there on. Like even to this day, I still see the owners of that club that, that shut down. They sold over a couple of years after. And my career started there. And they, it, it was just I forced my way in. And I was there for about three and a half years. Okay. And it got bought over by five people. Upon buying it, they told me that it would be my last night, and that would be it. I said, you guys can't do this without me. And at that point, I had a decision to make. What do I do? Do I continue my hustle, or do I just sit here and just bail? So I went across the street, and they knew that I was siphoning money out of their bar because everyone was coming to see me. Right. So knowing that I was available, they took me on. The owners lasted three and a half months, and then they called me to come back. So that's how my salaries incremented. I, I proved myself. So uh, in my region, I was doing every single party, whether it was a house party, a club party, a billard party. I was there. It was me. So your name was out there. Were you known as DJ Nemesis back then, or were you already known no, as DJ back Nemesis? then, yeah. I was known as DJ Kid back in the day. Because you're a kid. I was a kid back then, so I named myself DJ Kid. I started getting, uh, I got my foot in the door, and I was about 19 when I played my first real downtown club scene. You didn't, you didn't cop that um, from Kid Capri, right? No, I didn't. It's just that I always had a baby face when I was a kid. Okay, okay. So I, I, I didn't have like a full fledge of facial hair until I was like 19. <laughs> okay, I still don't have a full fledge of facial hair, but uh, that, that's okay. <laughs> Um, so when did you become DJ Nemesis then? Um, I became DJ Nemesis, uh, I would say probably when I was about 20. And where, where did that name come from? Um, my cousin from Barbados was living here. He did his high school here. And at his school, he was always known as the Beijing Nemesis because he used to bug people all the time. He was a, he was a real joker. Right. And when he went back to Barbados, like, we were connected at the hip. We would hate each other, but we'd still love each other. We were worse than brothers. <laughs> um, and at that point, when he left, there was, um, because I wasn't well-known in the city, 
there was another DJ named DJ Kid. Okay. Spelt the exact same way. Okay. So to re-identify myself, I had to find something that resonated with me. So I kept Nemesis. Okay. So from that point on, that name stayed with me. And I don't think there's anyone else named DJ Nemesis that I come across. Oh, yes, there is. Oh, is there? There's actually, a there's an actually a DJ in BC. Oh, no way. Named DJ Nemesis. Yeah. And it almost got legal between me and him. <laughs> so is your uh, Instagram handle the real DJ Nemesis? <laughs> no, my IG is DJ Nemesis 007. <laughs> um, and, you know, obviously you started at 17 and now, I mean, you got a huge almost DJing empire. Um, last time I spoke with you, you got you got you got a company going on, Alan. Uh, I'm making a good living with it. I'm yeah. making a good living with it. Yeah. We'll, we'll let you plug um, it at the end of the podcast. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, you got you got several DJs working with you, and uh, yeah, I got several. I don't have guys working for me. They work with me, and these guys are my fam. Like uh, I got DJ Kaz, I got DJ Sky, um, Technical. True Blue, um, there's a lot of guys who've helped me out, Hitten, um, DJ Image. Um, there's a lot of guys over here who've helped me out and made me who I am. So I have to give kudos to them, and I always give respect where respect is due. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, um, you know, what, what what do you think makes a good DJ? I mean, you touched on it earlier about knowing songs and which songs to mash with other songs, like in your opinion from a professional standpoint, like what makes a good DJ and who's your favorite DJ of all time? It used to be um, Jazzy Jeff. Hands I down. love Jazzy Jeff. I've seen him so many Hands times. Hands down. But that has since changed. So um, my number one right now is um, DJ Scratchmaster um, out of Barbados. Oh, okay. And then you have the Red Bull, um, the Red Bull champion of 2015, uh, 2016, sorry. And then that was DJ Puffy. Okay. And then it's still number three for me. It's, it's uh, Jazzy Jeff, hand them. Okay, okay. For me, it's Jazzy Jeff for sure. Um, but the, like, not aside from scratching, like, what what do you think makes a really awesome DJ in your opinion? Um, the reason why I chose these three DJs is because they're from the old school. They're not afraid. They they will play something out of the realm, same genre. But sometimes nobody knows, and they'd be like, "Whoa, this is funky, yo! This is hot. Let me go hop this. Let me go cop this." In this day and age, I find it very hard to do that because um, you and I are both from the same, pretty much almost the same, uh, the same, the same era. Right. Where, for example, Biggie, mm-hmm. Pac, Craig Mack, um, Busta, yeah. old Busta, not new Busta. Yeah. You, if you were to say any of Busta's tracks from his first three albums, everybody knew and over knew it. Because an album came out and you had that album and you ran that entire album. Yeah. You were in your car, you had your CD Walkman or you had your cassette Walkman and you would rock that album. Today with the digital era, there's no such thing as a classic anymore. Yeah, no, that's a good point. A classic will last three to six months. Yeah, if you think about it, for us a classic was if I drop a if I drop Southern Hospitality by Ludacris, everyone's losing their mind. <laughs> uh, was it throw them bows? Exactly, throw them bows, and everyone would lose their mind. Yeah. Um, if I would have dropped Party Up by DMX, yeah, 
everyone will lose their mind. Yeah. Well, or is it the is is it is that the case, or is it just the fact that club music is different now compared to back in the day? Like, we'll we'll talk about the contrast of DJing now compared to back in the day. But I think now, when you walk into a club, it's not hip hop, it's not R and B soul, it's you know, it's um, dance music, right? EDM. So. You know, it's not only EDM. Uh, I had my first experience in, with Vegas. Over the years, I've converted. I, I, I've, I've flopped back and forth between different genres. And I, I'm a very big EDM head now. I love my Steve Aoki, Bingo Players, um, Cascade. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big EDM head. And when I went down there, surprisingly, I went to two clubs. I'm not going to name them. <laughs> and I saw... I we went to Tiesto's birthday. Okay. And the DJ, surprisingly, that opened up for Tiesto was from Toronto. Oh, who's that? And he was phenomenal. And he was playing EDM? He, yeah, he was rocking this place. I mean, like, it was epic. It was, it's very rare that I've seen an underdog that good. Like, this guy was killing it. And Tiesto came on. I was like, okay, it's time to go. Like he was, he he kept the party going. TSO just was boring for me. Yeah, I don't know. I I guess I'm getting old, or I'm kind of too old for the EDM scene. But when I watch EDM DJs like on whatever YouTube, if they're playing at EDC or Ultra, I don't really think of what they do as DJing. It's almost like they're just playing a pre-made set and just getting the crowd hyped. I don't, correct me if I'm wrong. It, are it they actually look are at they it. actually mixing on the spot? live you have to you have to see certain guys like uh, i'm not talking about uh tiesto or getta i'm talking about if you need to look at laidback luke um carl cox um like the real vets who enjoy what they do and those are the guys that i look up to okay. sometimes they might play a track i don't like but okay. it doesn't matter just watch them in their in their in their mojo and their vibe is what he's feeding everybody okay. So I, I, so I get a sense, like, I think for you, and I think for most people, a good DJ is uh, a lot of creativity, hearing something that probably you've never heard of before, or hearing something that's totally a different slant from what you're normally used to hearing. Um, I think those are the things that probably makes a good DJ. But not only, not only that aspect, but to be able to incorporate new things with the pop yeah. and current and an equal level. Okay. What about being able to feed off the crowd, knowing, oh, this crowd is really eating up, I don't know, New Jack Swing, and then you just kind of, kind of keep pumping those out to get the crowd just going. What about that? There's a limit to everything. There's a limit to everything. Um, one thing that I've learned over the years um, of not only um, being a DJ but managing a bar. Um, watching bartenders, learning from people who built clubs is what to play and when to play it. So not only do you have to scan your crowd, you have to look at the bar. You have to look at the who's outside. Like, is there a big lineup or not? So you have to know when to drop your hits. There's there's a lot of a lot of aspects that you have to take into consideration, um, which is easier to do now than it was back then. Because back then, remember, we were on vinyl. You had a limited amount of music, and the golden rule is you don't play that track twice. 
That was the golden rule. We don't care if you play it at 10 o'clock or at 2 o'clock. You don't play it twice. That's the golden rule. And how did you organize the final so you could like find, like search it like on the spot in a split second? Because I think that would be very challenging to like, you know, vibe to the crowd and trying to find that vinyl on the spot. Did you have like a, a organizational way to, 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 oh, to yes. pick up the vinyl? Oh, yes. Depending how you knew before you got to the club, okay, are you doing prime time, which is say midnight till two? Or are you doing the the prime spot, which was from 11 to two? Are you opening, which is 10 to 11 or 10 to 12? And are you closing, which is from two to three? Right. You had to know what you would do before going in. But you always prepared yourself in consequence, like if the DJ didn't show up or if the DJ was late or stuck in traffic, you always had to be there in consequence to know, okay, you do not play certain tracks at certain times. In today's um, today's world of DJing, what I find is that there's so much music being pumped out all the time that it's impossible to play the same track twice. Yeah, there's. I mean, you have a whole breadth of different styles of music to play. And I think nowadays when you're teaching weddings and uh, clubs, I think there's so many genres and, and so many decades that you choose from, right, that you have to play. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have a preset? Do you have a preset list? I don't. Never, never. Always on the fly, like whatever you're. I'm always on the fly. Oh, that's awesome. Always on the fly. That's awesome. Um, that's probably one of the reasons why I don't have a lot of mixtapes. And if I do have any mixtapes online, it's mostly live now, because, I, like you said, I think it's because of the fact I'm getting old. <laughs> that <laughs> the preparation of all that stuff for me is irrelevant. Because if you prep for what you think is going to happen, and it's a complete 180, you're damned. You're screwed. There's nothing you can do. So when you go in, you start your flow, and you start saying, okay, you know what? This is not working. Let me switch it up. You know, okay, i got to try this. Right. I'm going to try that. Like, it, keeps you on your, it keeps you on your P's and Q's all the time. And that's what I enjoy about this. You never do the same job twice. Yeah, actually, that's true. And did you have, do you ever have these like euphoric moments when you're DJing or every single time, like when you see the crowd totally vibing to your mixes? Like that, I, that has to be an amazing feeling. It is great. It, it is good. It is good. Um, I haven't had that in a long time. I really haven't. Um, and it's mainly because of the direction that I chose to take when I'm DJing now. Um, I haven't done a club in forever. I really mean forever. I am 35 now, so I'm saying about seven years. Haven't done a club. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, like I weddings, do, private parties, and stuff. But I do large corporate events, like very big corporate events. Um, I did a. I used. I used to work at the ski hill. Um, so we, we've done a lot. I've done a lot of large events, and that's another thing that changes from when I first started. When we first started, uh, when I first started, when I was younger, if you were DJing. You had two options, a club or a wedding. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Now you have the stores, you have the ski hills, you have um, bar mitzvahs. And like everywhere you go now, there's a DJ. It's like the newfound craze of a job. So do you think the kind of business aspect of DJing is a lot easier to get into compared to back in the day when you were starting? Just Absolutely. There's so many Absolutely. more events. It's and not even only people many who probably don't events. DJ that well, they just get in there. Exactly. And it's not only the fact of uh, there's more events. Um, it's very easy to get access to the equipment. It's very affordable now. 
and everyone kind of DJs at home. Even I have a DJ set, and I think I'm but, a DJ. So, <laughs> but know? you can get a DJ. You can get like I've seen DJs show up for DJ competitions with a two hundred dollar console. I'm dead serious. <laughs> I am dead serious. They've never oh, touched a vinyl in their life. They've never touched a CD player, but they know how to use a use a, a MIDI device. I, you know, actually, my younger brother is DJing a couple of, uh, I guess, school events at, at UBC, mm -hmm. at the local pit pub, and he uses this like $150 Newmark mixer that I bought back in the day. He brings his Apple <laughs> laptop, and oh, he has no God. idea about mixing, and all he does is fade in, fade out, one song after another, mm -hmm. and uh, and the crowd loves it. Honestly, the crowd loves it as like as long as they're playing the hits, uh, the crowd loves it. So, but see, that's exactly it. Because it's so available now, the the I find a lot of the creative aspect, and this like I said, the personal opinion, a lot of the creative aspect has started to to disappear. I mean, DJs aren't as I wouldn't say mainstream, but I guess popular as they were back in the kind of '90s, 2000s. I would say, eh? like the kind of the traditional sense of the word DJ. Would you yeah. agree with that? Yeah, where, I agree. Where you're using vinyl and yeah. Well, that's that's the thing. Uh, the the value of the label of DJ um, has diminished. Where at a certain point, you have to decide what your value is. Like when I first started, like I said, I did a month for free, and I lost, but. It built me to be the hustler that I am now, and I'm the go-getter, and it kept me going. A lot of these guys don't have that have that thrive, and it, yeah. it hurts the it hurts the it hurts the business. It does. So, where where do you see yourself like five years from now in terms of the DJing scene? Do you do you have any other goals you'd like to accomplish with DJing or, or being part of the industry? I don't know. Uh, as you know, um, I've always been a um, Let's see what happens tomorrow. I've never planned anything. Um, I've always been ambitious that way. I don't want to. I don't want to jinx myself. Yeah. I'm hoping in five years I'll still be DJing, but who knows? Who knows? Maybe I'll be just sitting back and just managing for a couple of contracts and having guys go out like most of the older guys do. But um, I don't know. I really don't know. It depends what my career path is going to take me. I really have no idea. I never, I never thought of that. And honestly, I think just you keep doing it as long as you enjoy it, you know? But that's exactly uh, it. When you, when you don't enjoy it, then you got to be my, Michael Jordan and just uh, hang it up. <laughs> or, when you got, or when you got nothing else to prove, you just got to hang it up then. Uh, I got a lot to prove. I'm no, I think that's probably one of the reasons why I'm still DJing is because I'm nowhere technically where I want to be or where I need to be. So I'm still practicing and trying to get myself to that level. And yeah. So hey, so you know it's getting late over there in Montreal, but so I want to wrap up here. But sure. Before we wrap up, actually, I, I always wanted to do this with you and to uh, for us to list our top five hip hop artists of all time. So um, <sighs> as 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 my guest, I'm actually gonna let you go first. No, I'm gonna let you no, go no, first. You gonna let me go first? I'm gonna let you go first. Okay. You know, actually. I have five, but I don't have a particular order. I think um, when I talk about top hip-hop artists, my criteria is, one, longevity and the breadth of their artistry and work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, two, kind of that goes along with like number of albums that they've put out, number of hit singles. 
three, I think I'd have to look at their cultural influences. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then lastly, I'd kind of look at their technical aspects, like how their flow is, their, their lyrical uh, writing and whatnot. So in no particular order, my top five is Jay-Z, Eminem, uh, uh, Biggie, uh, Tupac, and then my fifth, I kind of hum and haw between Nas and Kanye West. That would be uh, my top five. Like honorable mention for me would be uh, Snoop Dogg, LL Cool J. Uh, I think if Kendrick Lamar keeps it up for a couple more years, he's definitely up there. I'm by far gonna say Kendrick. Okay. Um, okay. I'm a true. I'm a very very big fan of Kendrick. Um, an underrated rapper that I really wish continued going would have been Warren G. Really? Okay. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Warren G. Um, okay. You got Biggie. I loved his first album. Yeah. You got Biggie and Pac. That's absolute. The only one I can't, I, I never knew who the fifth one would be. I, but I, if I were to say it, it would have to be Old School Buster. Okay. Okay. Old School yeah. Buster. Not New School Buster. Old School Buster. <laughs> like, put your hands where my eyes can see. Buster. Like, Tribe Called Quest. <laughs> old school buster. Oh, okay, old old school buster. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Awesome. And do you have a favorite? You actually know. You told me your favorite album is Collision Course, right? That was one of my favorite my favorite album of all time. Yet that would have to be Collision Course. Um, oh, from song. Jay-Z. Do you have a favorite song? Oh God, that changes by the that changes by my mood. <laughs> do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite beat? I'll tell, mm. I'll tell you my favorite beat. My favorite beat is because I'm more of an R and B guy. Probably mm-hmm. a Biggie's "One More Chance" remix. That's my favorite beat of all time. Uh, you know me. I'm 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 an R&B head, hardcore. But I couldn't pinpoint one. I really couldn't. Come on, gun to your head. Give me, give me one. Give me one right now. Mm, you got me off guard there. <laughs> oh, favorite. That, that that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Okay, the, okay. the funny thing is, I'm in the mix right now of actually. Uh, compiling songs to do a 90s slash 2000 mix and ah, too many okay. tracks it's too many tracks I just it'll be like a six hour mix <laughs> bro bro I would listen to all six hours man it'd be, uh, it'd be good for my uh, running uh, training it'd be perfect uh, I'm looking it, forward to I, it it's gonna be hot it's gonna be hot I'm, I'm, I'm taking my time with this one hey Alan but, I really uh, uh I really appreciate this, man. I really appreciate you. It's my pleasure, buddy. It's my pleasure. Uh, for being open and candid about uh, DJing and, and the industry. Uh, is there anything you want to plug at all right now? Um, if y'all are in Montreal, come check us out Friday nights at Industria. Um, Peel and, in Griffintown. Um, we vibe in on 90s and 2000s beats for happy hour right up till about midnight. Um, but uh, like, like I said, I'm getting old. I don't do I don't do clubs anymore. Yeah. <laughs> hey, bro, you know I'm in Montreal this summer, so uh, I'll definitely. Oh check yeah, that we're night out. definitely gonna jam out. Yeah, <laughs> I'll probably have to take a nap before I come out, but I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a wrap, Alan. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure, buddy. Take care. Take care. Bye. So-